Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's David Grubnick and Eddie Kraywick talking top fuel and pro-stock bike. Eric Anders is your 2020 pro-stock world champion in stunning fashion. The comeback crew chief and the comeback rider. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28 at the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Brian Loans, back again. Had a week off uh, last week, had some family business to attend to, but we are back at it this week as we prepare for the final running of the Lucas Oil NHRA Southern Nationals at Atlanta Dragway. There's a lot of buzz. There's a lot of action going on in the sport right now, especially this week. As I make this show on a Tuesday, there are multiple teams testing. There was a lot of teams that stayed and tested after Vegas, There are now multiple teams on this particular Tuesday leading up to race day testing at Lucas Oil Raceway Indianapolis, including Cruz Pedregon, including the Vance and Hines team. We're going to be talking to Eddie Craywick in a while, including uh, Coletta Racing. I believe both top fuel cars are being tested out there uh, today. If not, I know for sure Doug Coletta's car is being tested. Not sure if Langdon's is as well. Undoubtedly, Sean Langdon is the test pilot. We look at this Southern Nationals race coming up this weekend, and it is certainly a very bittersweet moment for anybody who loves NHRA drag racing, certainly anybody who loves this legacy race on the tour, which unfortunately will celebrate its last anniversary in terms of it being held at Atlanta Dragway. It'll be the 40th time the event is run. Uh, 1981 was the first one of these, and 2021 will be the last. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's a cliche, but you want to be the last person that holds a Wally from this national event. The racetrack itself will operate through the end of this year, but the property has been sold, and uh, this national event will kind of represent its, um, I would say its season peak, but it'll be likely the biggest crowd the place sees all year. And certainly uh, we'll have our television coverage, qualifying, and eliminations on Sunday on FS1 from this event. You know, Atlanta Dragway is a fairly interesting place. It was built in the mid-1970s and was NHRA-sanctioned in 1980. I mentioned held that first Southern Nationals in 1981. And it's been it's been an interesting place to go racing. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk to David Grubnick and Eddie Krawick about today is the fact that it, it can be a flummoxing place. It can be the type of place where you have really weird weather. You can have some very humid, hot weather that takes a lot of power away from cars. You know, over the years, the surface has certainly gone through a fair amount of changes at this facility. It was resurfaced, at least the front half of it resurfaced, I want to say about five years ago now. The concrete replaced out to the eighth mile, and it is a hybrid-style track with concrete to the eighth mile and then asphalt down to the finish line. So I want to get the impressions of both uh, a crew chief and a crew chief rider, and and obviously David had, had a successful career as a top fuel driver as well. So I want to kind of get their impressions of the facility, some of the memories they have from this race, and really the, the kind of central theme of this show is going to be comeback, coming back. Uh, David Grubnick has not missed an iota of a beat coming back into the 2021 season. We have seen the monster top fuel dragster just absolutely hauling over the course of the first two races. I want to talk to him about how it feels to be in that type of command position in terms of his race car and what they continue to learn. Certainly want to talk about some of the things that maybe he fretted taking the amount of time off that he had to last year with John Force Racing pausing their operations over the course of 2020. And for Eddie Kraywick, a massive story this week with Vance and Hines announcing that he and Andrew Hines will be running the entirety of the remaining schedule in the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing Series. So they will be racing V-twin bikes. They will not be on the four-cylinder style bike that Angel is on with the Mission Foods machine. They will be on the V-twin style bikes that they are accustomed to with a major change and that they will not be running the Harley-Davidson bodies. They will be running the more aerodynamic EBR, or Eric Buell Racing bodies, or Buell bodies, if you will, on those motorcycles. Going to talk about that, and really what we can expect. Um, what we can expect from Pro Stock Motorcycle this year has been kind of the uh, the Ryan Ayler and, and Matt Smith show. Ryan Ayler's made two final rounds. He won one of those final rounds in Vegas. Matt Smith, a winner at the Gator Nationals. So those two riders have established themselves as early favorites this year. But with the 
return, if you will, of the full complement of horsepower makers and riders at Vance and Hines, things are sure to get very, very interesting in Pro Stock Motorcycle. Looking across our other categories, oh, and by the way, Pro Stock Motorcycle has 22 entries this weekend at the Southern Nationals, by far the most populous class that we have. Pro Stock is looking interesting this weekend as well. We see some names on there that uh, East Coasters, if you will, making appearances. Vincent Nobile coming back, driving for Elite Motorsports this weekend. It'll be interesting to see how many times we see him over the course of a 2021 Camping World season. And the Nitro categories as well have their regional style teams, our East Coasters, if you will, coming back into the mix after we had some of those West Coasters, especially in Funny Car, making runs out there at the Strip at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. You know, there weren't too many surprises out there at the Strip. We saw cars perform. We saw Jason Rupert's car qualify for the first time, and he got his license running 405 on Monday as one of those West Coast funny car racers, who we will see again during the uh, western part of our swing later on in the season. We made an inference on the television show to the fact that uh, there are some dates that will be added or, if you will, moved, changed, whatever you want to call it on the schedule in terms of uh, Pomona, which I know NHRA is actively working on a date for the Pomona race, which would have been the Winter Nationals, and Bristol. I believe the Bristol announcement is forthcoming at some point in the next week or two, and that will be a new date for that race, not the typical Father's Day weekend. So keep your ears peeled for that stuff. Big news coming out of the Tony Stewart side of drag racing as well as he was out there at Las Vegas the week before the event making runs and licensing in a top fuel dragster. No plans have been announced for when he is going to come out and race, if he's going to come out and race, or if he's going to continue on kind of testing and acclimating himself to the world of top fuel kind of behind the scenes this year. Keep you in touch with his social media. I believe they have some stuff that's going to drop this week in terms of maybe some videos and some other stuff that was recorded during his test session out in Vegas, I understand that he ran down in the 380s in that top fuel dragster. So will be interesting to get his firsthand impressions on making full pulls in a top fuel car. Obviously, he's been to Frank Holly's school and he's done the top alcohol style licensing. And uh, being in a full-sized, if you will, top fueler now, it is going to be very interesting to hear what he has to say. And hopefully over the next couple months, maybe we start to hear maybe some plans. I have no inside information on what Tony Stewart's plans are in terms of drag racing, but I would love, as I'm sure pretty much everybody listening here would uh, love to see him out there racing. Uh, You know, he's kind of a modern day, he's often been equated to a modern day throwback to the drivers of the 1960s and 70s that ran and raced in multiple disciplines of competition. And really, we got to go back to like Danny on Gaius and John Andretti to talk about people who have raced open wheel cars and stock cars and dirt cars and then gone racing in top fuel. So Tony's doing it in a slightly different order than those guys did. I guess not so much John Andretti, but certainly Danny on Gaius, his roots in drag racing and then expanded into multiple other forms of motorsports. But it will be, um, we'll be earth-shattering, ground-shaking news if and when he announces a plan to actually come out and race as part of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series. Again, I don't know if he's ever going to do that. I do know that he is certainly a guy who loves cars and loves racing in all of its various forms, so this may be just something he's doing to put another feather in his cap, but we will certainly all stay tuned for that information. When we go back to Atlanta this weekend in a two-wide format, we'll pick up Josh Hart back on the tour. We'll find out if Josh can uh, make it a two-for-two. He, of course, had that incredible win at Gainesville. Ron Douglas and crew tuning him masterfully, him driving the car very well, and it will be cool to see his return to the series when we get to Atlanta Dragway for the last and final time. So without further ado, let's welcome our first guest onto this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. He is one of the most well-known and well-respected top fuel crew chiefs, one of the few men who has ever successfully made the leap from a driver to a very successful crew chief. His name is David Grubnick, but for purposes of this conversation, we're calling him Grubby. Grubby, how you doing, man? Very good, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, it's certainly uh, it's certainly great to have you. First time guest on the uh, on the Insider here, so we'll hopefully uh, make this uh, make this a regular thing if we can at some point, man. It's been certainly great to see you back, and I know it must feel great to be back. Yes, it does. Um, you know, just unfortunate circumstances with COVID, and you know, no real precedence on it. But you know, hopefully, we're all going to get through it, and um, you know, when everybody will um, come out of it sort of doing well. 
you know, one of the things I think that's that's fascinating and and you know, we've we made a big deal out of and maybe we even shouldn't have because over the first two races we've seen that it really didn't harm you or any of the other crew chiefs at John Force Racing nearly at all to to have that layoff that you did last year in terms of uh being at the racetrack, but you're all still part of the team. I want to talk to you a little bit about what were the things that were maybe swirling around in your mind before we actually went racing again in, in Gainesville in terms of concerns, stuff like that, before the car actually went down the racetrack? Well, you know, we, um, we, the industry really was pretty much in protection mode, we felt, oh, yeah. in 2020. So um, everybody was just sort of, you know, trying to survive. So, um, with that being said, I didn't see, you know, everyone just go down the racetrack, let's just get through this and so forth. So we, uh, we didn't see a great leap in performance. So we, we had, we had a pretty good car when we finished, when we finished up in, um, in Phoenix in 20 days. So we just kept the same model and, and we just picked up where we left off. So, um, you know, which really should put us back to, you know, where we were in, in, uh, in Phoenix in 20 and so forth. Um, the biggest challenge for us has been adapting to, um, the lower qualifying sessions. You know, we had to sort of balance our risk, you know, what are we prepared to risk? Um, and you know, where do we want to be in the qualifying field? So, um, you know, with that being said, we really, we, we sort of at first took a couple of steps back and, you know, let's just get ourselves in, let's get somewhere in the top five, and, you know, hopefully put ourselves in a good position for race day. So, you know, and that's going to be, you know, going forward, we're going to, you know, we've had days or events with three qualifying sessions, but we're also going to have two qualifying sessions. So, you know, we're just going to have to be a little bit careful, make yeah. sure we get ourselves qualified well. Absolutely. And and this will be the first of those two qualifying session events this weekend at, um, at Atlanta. And, you know, to me, Atlanta ha- always strikes me as a track that, it, there's never a normal race at Atlanta to some degree, you know, whether it or for years, the track surface there was kind of iffy. Of course we roll in there sometimes and it's, it's like a swamp. Sometimes we get there and it's freezing cold. Give me a little bit of the crew chief book on Atlanta dragway. If you could. Well, you know, I would say it's one of those tracks with a wide personality. So, you know, we've, we've been there and, and as you said, if it cools down um, and you know, we get like decent, we get good prep, everything else, you know, we could potentially, um, you know, hold some good UTs, but then as it heats up, the sun gets on it, um, you know, its personality can change dramatically. Like, for example, Vegas, where we just came from, the, the track was fabulous. Yeah. You know, you know, when it heated up, you know, it still supported good UTs and so forth, but we may not necessarily see that in Atlanta. So, you know, we're going to have to be careful there. Some tracks have narrow personalities. Other tracks have very wide personalities. And, you know, it's that's the challenge of trying to get these cars to run consistently. It's sort of like being able to read those personalities. Absolutely. And, you know, to to double back on Vegas for a second, I know from several of the people I've talked to and even from what my own eyes were telling me, I'm not sure I've ever seen – as even a four wide racetrack at any four wide event we've had, whether it's Charlotte or Vegas in terms of traction in all four lanes. Agreed. Um, agreed. We, we, we were out there, we were studying the racetrack and, and normally there's a few of us up there, myself, Mac, Nick, Lanny, you know, we, we analyze those lanes and we, you know, we had the privilege of lane choice and, you know, we couldn't really decide which lane we wanted to be in. There was, you know, I had a preference, um, you know, Mac, Nick, they had preferences. And normally, you know, we all concur on exactly where we want to go. So that's that's a testament to how good that racetrack was. Yeah, it was fun to watch. It certainly made for a, uh, made for an entertaining race day and a, and a good show for the fans that we had in the stands. Speaking of racetracks, you know, it was one of the things that, that when I knew I was going to be speaking today, I was thinking about. And, you know, Obviously, you have to deal with the situations or the the conditions that are at hand when you go racing on any given weekend at any given track. Would you have been in, I don't want to say behind the eight ball, or would you have been in in a less strong position had our season last year not basically been centered around Indianapolis? Because... You know, effectively, we ran half the races last year at Indy, so it's not like anybody really gathered a lot of information on racetracks that you yourself didn't see last year. And even if they did, does that really change anything? Well, it can, Brian, and, and you know, 
the variable there is how often, right? So you can't get a feel or a reading on a racetrack on one event, right? And so, you know, this is built up over seasons and and multiple visits to it, right? And so, you know, for us to, to have an opinion on Atlanta doesn't, you know, we have to build that over, over a, a time period, sure. historical data. So, you know, the fortunate thing for us is, you know, the pandemic only kept us out for a year. Right. And so, but if, if, if we were to stay out for longer than that and track personalities would change, then yes, we would be at a disadvantage. But fortunately for us, you know, we're only out for that one year. Yeah. And, uh, and, and one year where basically everybody saw it was like Groundhog Day. We, <laughs> we kept seeing the same place over and over again. And we're obviously thankful we're able to run those races at Indy last year. But it certainly was interesting to, to see so much of the competition contained in, in one particular place. Put your driver hat on for a second, and I know it's been a while since you've been in the seat as a competitive driver, but when you look at what happens on a, on a given race day now, the quality of competition out there in the seat, would you ever want to get back in it? Because it is brutal in top fuel these days in terms of leaving the starting line. Just the quality of competition is incredible. Yes, um, indeed. Uh, no, I I was very I had a, I was very thankful for my driving career, Um you know, it, it's it's a young man's game or a young woman's game, young driver's game. Um, and for me, it's sort of like, you know, I'm very thankful to all the owners that I drove for, for the career that I had. Um, but, it, you know, it, it takes... It takes a special person, and with me, with my mechanical background, everything else, it was sort of like I was always involved on the mechanical side. Yeah. So the transition was natural for me to go over to this. And... Um, you know, so from a driving standpoint, no. Um, you know, if I'm going to drive anything, um, you know, it'll be for fun and I want to turn a corner. Absolutely. That's cool. That's really cool. You know, you mentioned Max Savage a few minutes ago, and it is such a critical relationship in modern drag racing to have, I don't recall it a right-hand man, but you and Mac work so well together and you've worked together for so long. It's a question that I like to ask a lot of the crew chiefs I have on this show, which is what is it about the relationship that you and Mac have that makes it so successful, that makes it so symbiotic? What is it between the two of you that works so well? Well, we've known each other for years. We both worked at Coletta's, um, you know, back in the early 2000s. Um, our personalities, the the way we communicate, um, how we bounce things off each other, it, it's, you know, we don't put ourselves above each other. Um, we work together on, on everything that goes on with the crew, with how the car runs, um, track analysis. And, and it's, 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 it starts with Mac and I, but that filters down through the whole crew. So, you know, it takes a collective effort. You know, it's not just a matter of, you know, and I, I get my guys together at the end of, or well, we do at the end of every event, and and I remind them that you know we can have a tune-up model and we can do all this stuff, but unless we put that car together perfectly every run, it will not repeat on 60 feet. It will not repeat on the ETs we try and achieve. So it, you know, it's a collective effort. So and we have that relationship with every. We try to, and it's and it's been fabulous. That's you know we have our core group of guys and. And it's, you know, when you look at NASCAR, when they're on the track for like, you know, 30 minutes and they're in the pits for, you know, 20 seconds, well, we're the total opposite, right? And so you look at what it takes to succeed um, and it's how it's got to, you've got to surround yourself with quality people. Yeah, and and obviously, you know, John Forrest kept the the crew chief brain trust together, if you will. He kept his, his leaders together uh, last year and th- that was the main thing he kept together. Now, not every single crew guy was able to come back. Some guys went off and and found other opportunities. Some guys switched teams. Some guys decided, hey, you know what? I like being home and cutting my own grass. You know, people make different decisions. So coming back into 2021, how many, I don't want to say new crew members, but how many new to you crew members did you have? And those new to you crew members, are any of them new to drag racing or uh, do they come from different teams? Well, we actually kept all our guys. Amazing. Um, yeah, we kept them all, which was, it was a testament to them. They, you know, obviously they struggled. They had to take part-time work. Um, we communicated with them as often as we could, um, but we pretty much got them all back. We had we had one that we, um, we didn't manage to keep, which we wanted to keep, but he actually moved over to John's car 
and uh, we inherited with Austin's car being parked um, we inherited the, the car chief from that car and um, so you know which you know he Brian Benedict he's fitting perfectly with everybody so uh, but we've we kept all our people which which is good it's good for it's good for myself and Mac to know that you know we have our core group of guys that when when they're out working on the car, we have confidence in them. You know, for Brittany, she's got the same team together. So, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, one of the key ingredients is confidence, right? Sure. We all have to have confidence in ourselves, in our people, you know, and in our abilities. And how, how important was it to maintain that confidence to come out as strongly as you did in these first two events? Because, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what sport you're in. It doesn't matter what motorsport, whether it's stick and ball, whatever it is. When you are coming back into a scenario that you are you were comfortable with before, that you are successful in before, you want to, I guess, hit the ground running. So, in terms of the importance of being able to look at those guys at the end of a Gainesville, how strong the car ran in qualifying, to be able to look at those guys at the end of a Vegas race and say, okay, you know, it looks like it looks like we're moving in the right direction here. How critical is that? Well, I, I believe that's everything. You can't, um, you have to have that. That's the key ingredient. It starts there, right? And then it works its way down. So when you're looking at track conditions, um, whether it be in qualifying or whether it be on race day, um, the, the the key ingredient is confidence. Confidence is, it starts there and, and that helps in making decisions. You can't second guess yourself. So, um, you know, you have to believe in your in your model, you have to believe in your guys. So, Brian, it, it's it starts there, and that that's it's very important to have that. We made a a big deal, and it was really kind of a cool story in the funny car category at Gainesville, um, where Ron Caps and his team were having issues with the data acquisition system, and they were really just having to basically read parts to send their car down the racetrack to be successful, and they they did a good job of it. I guess from your perspective, you obviously not had to deal with that this season, but how much is reading parts still a integral kind of? methodology of being a crew chief obviously you have all these multiple data channels you have the ability to analyze a racetrack to the level that you know people in this sport have never had up until this modern era but still the parts talk to me a little bit about reading parts and is it still something that not only you participate in but is it still a big part of what your job is yeah actually that's where it starts right so um you know our our data recorders and and the the systems we use are pretty much just black boxes right and and the data recorders the system you know when you look at that data it's it just records it so it doesn't tell you exactly what's going on um you know mac myself mac he's he's outside he's on top of that engine we go through a system of you know, we, we measure all the rod bearings. We, we record whether a spark plug's been fuzzed. Um, we look at valves, whether they've been tilted or they've sunk. Um, that's where it starts. And then we'll go look at the data and, and move from there. So, you know, if, if we see something that's not right in the engine, we, we address that immediately. So, you know, with the way the sport is and, you know, funding, cost controls, all that sort of stuff. It's, you know, you have to have performance, but it's got to be balanced with reliability. So um, it definitely starts with the parts, Brian. That's the first thing we look at. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's to me, it's a, a really kind of a cool, it's a cool factor of that job that other crew chiefs and other motorsports don't get the chance to do until after a particular event. You know, there's if you're a guy who's a crew chief on a stock car and the thing's not running right, it's not like he can pull in and, and pull the cylinder heads off and get a look at it. But whereas our sport, as you mentioned, really kind of going back to the point you made before where, you know, the stock car guys are the exact opposite of us where, you know, the car spends more time in the pits on a race day, on a successful race day at an NHRA race uh, almost than it does out on the racetrack of a, of a successful NASCAR race. So going through all that, um, you know, going through all that process, if you will, what are the things that you can recall from your early days of crew chiefing on one of these cars until today that have either evolved or even surprised you in their evolution? Things that have changed mechanically, uh, maybe if even if it's not inside the engine, maybe in your own approach that you wouldn't even think of doing now that you were doing when you started. Well, we haven't, the, the changes, um, you know, NHRA uh, keeps a... Yeah, tight, um, tight lid on that. <laughs> tight lid on that, correct. So, you know, I was just, I was just trying to find a, like a politically correct way to sort of 
but they keep a tight lid on us, right? And so we don't, there's not much in the way of changes, right? And so it becomes sort of, you know, it's difficult to try and get the performance on, um, you know, when you have the same parts. And we've pretty much had the same parts, you know, for 10 plus years when you look at the clutches, you know, the engines, the superchargers, all that sort of stuff. We haven't really had any major breakthroughs or development changes. And that's because of, you know, we, we've got mandated rules that said this is all you can do. So it becomes more and more difficult to try and squeeze out performance. So, um, you know, I, I really, you know, looking back and, you, you know, where is all the performance come from and, and, uh, you know, there's not one specific area, right? It's just a combination of of paying attention to all the tiny little details in each specific area. So, you know, once you sum all that together, then you start inching out little bits of performance. But it, it's definitely been a challenge, that's for sure. You know, and then, like I said, and balancing that, right, with reliability. You can't, you know, you can't go out there and and try and run you know mid 60s or high 60s and then you know and hurt engines everyone you know you put yourself and you're running out of business so you know the, the it starts with having reliability once you solve the reliability problem then you can start inching out performance yeah it makes total sense it's uh it's you know we always talk about all oh, the pro stock guys they go to the dyno and they found five horsepower and it's a big deal but in a in a fuel car i guess it isn't so much the five horsepower it's just the application of you know multiple thousands of them in, in different kind of tuning swings that, uh, that that separates the men from the boys in that category, so to speak. Let's talk a little bit about, um, obviously, Brittany, your driver. You've, you've worked together with Brittany for years. You have uh, a very comfortable, a very open, a very honest relationship with each other that, uh, that she often talks about. Let's talk a little bit about kind of what conversations or does the conversation change in a situation where you have two qualifying sessions? You know, when, when you go into a race weekend, like we are coming to this weekend with only two hits, uh, is there any instruction you pass on to a driver beyond the, beyond the obvious when you're only going to have two qualifying sessions? Well, no, we always, we communicate and I'll, you know, I'll get with her and explain to her, I'll tell her what our plans and goals are for that specific run. Right. Um, and then, you know, with her, it's it's all from a driving standpoint, and I always look at it from this perspective too, where, you know, when we used to have the countdown, right, and then, um, you know, I would get interviewed and, and it'd be like, well, are you going to, you know, do things differently? Are you going to step it up and so forth? And I said, well, hang on. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm driving for an owner that expects me to be there all the time, right? So right. I, I can't sort of say, yes, I'm going to be putting 100% in now because I was only putting 50% in before, right? So, you know, from a driving standpoint, you're always, you know, focused. It's all about focus points. It, you know, it's all about hitting your marks. And so we communicate on you know what our goals and what our targets are for each run and each qualifying sessions and you know and then and then she always hits a marks it, it's so from that standpoint the pressure is really on us when we have two qualifying sessions so you know we can't get too greedy but at the same time we have to put ourselves into a, a decent qualifying position yeah it makes total sense and uh you know as a crew chief that has had uh you know has had success basically across the tour you guys have have run fast at basically every single racetrack on the nhra camping world drag racing tour what's your favorite place to go racing uh, right now every track we go to, to be <laughs> mine too to be honest yeah. with you, mine yeah, too. you know you know, for now, it's sort of like I'm just thankful that we're going to these events and, and, and getting them in. You know, and, you know, we've got good support. You know, we had, you know, we had great crowd in um, in Gainesville. We had a great crowd in Vegas. So, you know, to all our fans, it's, it's very comforting that we've got our fans, you know, and, you know, our business model still works. So, um, you know, Brian, just, you know, any race we go to right now, any track, I'm thankful to be there. That's a fact. One last question before I let you go, and and you know I want you to put on your David Grubnick drag racer hat, not necessarily your John Forrest Racing crew chief hat here. When we look at what Capco Racing has done, you know, over the last really four seasons, um, as a as a fan of this sport, as someone who has lived their life in this sport, it is it has to be from even from your perspective, incredibly impressive. Oh, indeed. Um, you know, to the to be able to go out, produce the performances, varying conditions, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely a testament. And and I even publicly said in 
in 2000, um, 2019, you know, when we first started with JFR, um, you know, we, we, there was a, a massive learning curve adapting and so forth. And our best case scenario was, could we get somewhere close to maybe run for a championship? And, and as it turned out, we did. Um, and then I even said that, you know, we, we were trying to steal the championship because, you know, the Capco team had, you know, a massive points lead that, you know, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on what your thoughts are with the countdown, right? It, it's sort of like, you know, we play in the band, we put up with the music, but, you know, it managed to give us a chance to, uh, you know, to go after it. But ultimately that car had, you know, it had an incredible lead. So, yeah, yeah. And, and and that's what we want to do. We want to we want to sort of get ourselves up there and, and and legitimately fight for it and then combine two potential seasons, you know, like a summer season and then, you know, the 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 fall season and then you wanna you wanna try and lead it all the way, you know, just like they did and, and not sort of, you know, lose that massive lead you have. So yeah. No, it's a it's it's a really cool thing to watch. I know that I speak for myself and and a load of people across drag racing that we're su- super thankful you and the entire monster team are back. The entire John Forrest Racing organization really has uh, such meaning to our fan base, has such meaning to the sport, and uh, it's cool, man. It's cool to see you guys come back, and it's cool to see you come back hitting the ground running. And certainly interested to see what's going to happen this weekend at the uh, the final running of of Atlanta, the Southern Nationals. It's one of those races that really is going to be bittersweet. You know, it's um, a place that has 40, you know, 40 years of history and the world's kind of, um, I guess, grown in around it. There's houses within spitting distance of the timing tower now at the place. So whoever's going to get this one done, it will be a, a kind of a neat mark to have in their, in their cap and in the history books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, we'll give it our best shot. You know, we're, we're still, we're just getting our feet wet. So we're going to slowly get ourselves back up to speed. The always fast and the always cautiously optimistic David Grubnick. Grubby, thank you, man. You bet. Thank you, Brian. It's always great to talk to David Grubnick. He's introspective. He's thoughtful, giving great answers to those questions from my end to him. Now we transition to the world of pro stock motorcycle competition. A bombshell news dropped this week in the fact that Eddie Krawick and Andrew Hines will return to run the entirety of the 2021 Camping World Drag Racing season starting this weekend at Atlanta Dragway. We welcome Eddie Krawick onto the show, who was just at Lucas Oil Raceway testing today. Eddie, how you doing, man? Man, it's good to be back. It sounds weird saying that. You know, it's good to be back. I, we, we used to bust on Jell about that all the time. She'd have fans come over and say, hey, it's good to be back. I mean, we only missed two races. <laughs> it's come like, on, yeah. man. Give me, give me a little bit. It's like LL Cool J, man. It's like, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it was kind of weird, though, going to the races and, like, not racing. It was a whole different level of, uh, I don't know, I'd say stress or not really even stress, but a whole different level that like you know you're not used to yeah you know i think one of the things especially in like this time frame you know we've seen people get out of a car get off a bike and then it's like we don't necessarily see them again or know if they're going to come back and and obviously we've both we see we both have we've expected you both to come back at some point but everything's been so uncertain the fact that you are going to be back on a bike after having only missed two races is a pretty big deal yeah you know to be quite honest, I mean, a lot of stuff happened in the 11th hour to us last year. Um, you know, we, we thought we were good. We thought everything was, was perfect rolling forward, getting ready for 2021. And, uh, like I said, the 11th hour, we got told nothing's happened in 2021. And there was a lot of changes. I, I mean, for me, myself, uh, Andrew and a couple of the guys personally at the shop, I mean, there's, there was a lot of change that had to happen in like literally 24 hours. Yeah, And, uh, you know, we went from getting ready to go race for a championship. We actually had our bikes loaded. We're going to go test at, uh, at the, the man cup race in Valdosta. And we had to change our plans, canceled all our flights, did everything. And we were like, all right, let's look at this. And then, you know, we, we were basically commissioned to build brand new motorcycles for Corey Reed and Joey Gladstone. So we were trying to finish those bikes up and really our focus shifted to, we need to have revenue for the shop and focus on keeping our employees going, you know? And, uh, unfortunately we lost a few people through, through the whole ordeal. And, um, 
you know, we, we brought most of them back and here we are going racing again. And, you know, thank, thankfully, you know, missions food stepped up and came aboard on our program and allowed us to run on gel for the whole year. And, you know, allowing us to get out there and go racing. Um, you know, hopefully we can continue to grow a partnership with them. I mean, it's a, it's a massive company. If you don't know anything about mission foods, just think about tortillas. I mean, because they, they supply them to just about everybody. So, um, it, it's really great, um, to have a, what I'd like to say is non-conventional non-racing sponsor yeah. out here. Yeah. No, it's huge. And, and a sponsor that's activating, you know, that we sponsorships are one thing, but when the company goes ahead and makes tortilla chips that look like pro stock motorcycles or makes cardboard <laughs> cutouts and puts them in the, the, the chip section of grocery stores. I mean, that's, that's really the type of stuff that, that sets it on kind of to the next level. Yeah. You know, they actually did some, some online commercials, you know, the, the, the online stuff nowadays is really where most of the marketing is happening, yeah. you know? So they, they did some commercials with Angel of all people to, uh, walk in the supermarket with her leathers on and go shopping, you know? So <laughs> it was kind of cool. Um, it's neat. It's great for the whole sport in general, oh, and uh, we yeah. just need to embrace it. And in times like now, um, it's a lot harder to get somebody on the hook and and get a partnership going. And and I use partnership because sponsorships. The days of people just throwing money at you and walking away are it's gone. Over. Yeah, that's over. you know it's 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 a partnership. You need to produce for them as much as they need to produce for you. So uh, it's it's really it's been good. You know, one of the things the, the first guest I had in the show today was David Grubnick, and and obviously his his time away from doing what he loved as far as tuning a top fuel car was a lot longer than yours was away from the drag strip riding. You're there, obviously working on Angel's bike, but I have to imagine when when we measure the stress level of what you guys went through in the off season to try to again work on the shop level, try to make sure employees stay active and employed versus getting on a motorcycle, I have to imagine that the next time you're in a quote-unquote stressful racing situation, you can call back up on that that time over the winter and go, this is nothing. <laughs> you, you know, it's the, the one thing that I can appreciate about, you know, the racing side of things is for, for me personally, it's like the longer you're away, the more your desire becomes, you know, I guess that needle in your arm is uh, it, it just, it regenerates you. And I want to say sometime early last year i was probably myself and andrew I, andrew's actually standing right here with me so um he could chime in if he wants but we both have gotten to the point in our lives where we don't have anything to prove to anybody for our career or what we've done sure and just the whole change whoa, of whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is a guy saying that he's already been 200 i hadn't been 200 but i did go today well <laughs> you know as 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 you're away from it, it makes you want it more. And, and I really think it was a good thing, you know, for me personally, the whole COVID deal happening because it made us want to get after it a little bit more, go out there, go racing. And then this whole deal happening with us with, you know, losing our, our sponsor and everything going a different way. And, you know, I'm just glad that uh, Vance and Hines and, and mission and everybody recognizes the value in racing. I mean, Vance and Hines is that, that was how, Byron and Terry met essentially was racing and uh you know for those two guys to basically create their friendship over racing and then build a business out of it and what I'd like to say is a multi-million dollar industry leading exhaust company and roll forward our heritage is racing we've been doing it for 40 years and we didn't want to stop now and uh we've we've got uh, a great president and uh over at Vance and Hines Mike Kennedy and he sees it and he's like, guys, we got to get you out racing. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're going to be out there. We're going to be out there a little bit different. We got dual body work in our Vance and Hines 160 VT V twin motor. And, uh, we're excited, you know, to some degree. And this is exactly what I want to get into. So you, you segued yourself perfectly into where I wanted to go next. So this, and at least in my estimation, this is a monstrous combination. I mean, I would have to imagine, again, not being an aerodynamicist, um, that, that the bodywork you have on those motorcycles now is significantly better than what you had on them last year. That's not true. Our competitors told us that they're not going to be really any better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I, I guess the, the way I want to put it, and I said it today, because we're actually, Andrew and I right now are in Indy, we, we 
we're testing, making a couple laps, just getting ready for Atlanta. We literally just finished the bike yesterday afternoon, both of them. Uh, we got the bodywork, everything on them. Uh, we didn't, you know, I'd love to say we didn't have a whole lot of time because we've been really focusing on our customers with the four valve Suzuki program on Gel's bike and and everything along there. So we haven't just we haven't had time to do our motorcycles. Um, you know, thankfully Matt Hines and 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 our crew guy Scott and you know a couple other guys back to shop. They dug in on their on their off time and made some bikes happen for us. I mean, we got two motorcycles ready for Atlanta. We're here testing. We're happy with where we are. And after my first run, I just said, "Arrow is like cheating." <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> it's good. <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, but the Iranas who 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 basically put in the effort in designing this this EVR body, um, they really did their homework. I'll tell you. I mean, we knew the bike was fast. We knew the body work was fast. And man, we're just glad that we got them on our bikes here and, and got them going down the track. So we're we're for sure excited uh, about it. I don't know, Andrew. You want to chime in? What's your thoughts? Yeah, and I guess the question I want to pose to Andrew is have you ever looked forward to a race with just a more fun outlook? Because in reality, you guys rolling in there, obviously, you know, there's a pressure to compete and everything else, but I have to imagine like rolling into Atlanta this week, this is just going to be fun. Yeah. It's, it's more like playing the spoiler role is what kind of what we're shooting yeah. for. You know, we, we didn't earn points at the first couple of races. So, you know, we got to, if we want to get in the countdown, you know, cause we're, we're kind of committing to run the whole season now. Uh, we got to come out there and, and go swinging, but you know, it's going to be a point where people are going to, you know, they're going to remember how we were and they're going to see how we are now. We just got to figure out how it lines out on Sunday, but it's, uh, it's going to be back to the point where it's like kind of no pressure. You know, if we don't get in the countdown, it is what it is, but we're going to have fun ruining some days. Yeah, that's a fact. And that's, that's the way I kind of see it too, which I feel like is a, a really kind of fun place to be in. And the reality is when we look at how the first two races shook out in terms of guys that are coming in, you know, two races late, if you will, you really aren't in that bad of shape. You know, when it, because there was so much, there was so much, if we look at the top two riders, obviously those guys have, have had a successful first two races, but there was so much kind of mix up between, let's say, spots two and 10. You're really not in that bad of shape. A couple of good weekends, you guys are right back in the thick of things. Yeah, I mean, hopefully after we come out of Atlanta, maybe me and Andrew could be in the top 10. I mean, it's, it's wishful thinking. We do totally think it's possible when you look at it. Um, you know, right now in the position that we're in. Excuse me, I got to take a call from our other riders. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, right now the position that we're in is like, like you said, no pressure. And really, I do believe we're going to be more dangerous with the no pressure situation because um, you really are going to go up there and get after it every time. And I have to, you know, the, maybe a strange question, maybe one you can't or can't answer, but. The difference between, and I'm not saying this, and I'm not asking you ever to say anything negative about Harley-Davidson, which was a incredible supporter of you in NHRA drag racing for years, but when we now remove that particular corporate level of pressure, you want to deliver for Vance and Hines, you want to deliver for yourself, you're a multi-time champion, but does this change a little bit of how you go into a Sunday or how you go into a race day or even how you view a particular weekend in terms of what you need to deliver to feel like a success? Um. I think yes and no. I mean, every race I want to win. I want to do my best. I want to do everything that I can do. But where it does relieve the pressure is, is I mean, ultimately, Terry and, and the guys at the Vance and Hines side of it is who we answer to. And that's yeah. who we have to answer to. And they are racers, so they understand. You know, I don't even think I've ever had Terry say anything to me after, uh, after like, I've lost or something happened. He just would ask me, hey, did you learn or, you know, did you figure anything out? And as long as you come out of that weekend, I mean, listen, I've, I've tried losing 50 different ways, trust me, <laughs> and, and I've succeeded at it. So, you know, but to have him not have to, you know, you don't have to beg and plead or, or answer. He knows, man. It's, it's, it's difficult. But even more important, the level of competition right now in this category, um, like you said, when you look at the top 10 or top 12 bikes, you literally can throw a blanket on them and say, all right, here's where we are. Um, there, there used to be, I'd say 10 years ago, uh, when I was first kind of getting into it, you knew first round, you were kind of, you kind of have an opponent covered, but now if you're, you are a little bit off or make a little bit of a mistake, you're fixing to get your butt whooped. 
Yeah, no, and, th- and that's what's made this category incredibly fascinating over the last several seasons of just, you know, it's, as you well know, you've lived it. It's been so topsy-turvy and so cool and so unpredictable. Um, let's talk a little bit about a competitor that's coming back this weekend uh, who began the season, had a testing accident. Joey Gladstone, as somebody who is a fellow competitor in this category who respects racers, who respects toughness, who respects all those aspects, how is it as stunning to you as it is to me that this guy is going to be back on a bike this weekend after a really <laughs> nasty crash in Darlington? You know, I, I, one of my guys just asked me, I said, I think Joey's going to try to ride. I said, yeah, I think he's going to too, but I, you know, we all know he's not going to be a hundred percent. He's just yeah. going out there trying to get the points for sure. Um, I, I will tell you, I mean, I, I said it, I, I was, I'd like to say I was probably most of the reason to get him out on a bike here, out here uh, a couple of years ago when he rode for the San Marino racing and Joe and everybody there. I, I really, I tried putting that deal together to get Joey on a motorcycle. I do believe that that kid is one of the most talented motorcycle riders out there. Um, he's very good at universal riding, getting on just about anything yeah. and being good. And, uh, the class needs that. Um, the series needs that. Yes. The big thing that I see right now really is, uh, we don't have a breeding ground to get people stepping up. I mean, Joey's riding motorcycles that are going literally six thirties at, at 230 miles an hour, uh, which is totally insane. I, I don't know if I'd ever want to go that fast, but, uh, you know, to get on these things, it takes finesse and it's a whole different challenge. So I, I think there's people that respect that, but in the end, honestly, if you're building a pro street bike that makes 800 horsepower going six thirties or you're building a pro stock, it costs you about the same amount of money. So, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah, Joe, Joey coming out there shows you what he is and, uh, you know, where his head is. I think, uh, as long as he can make a good clean lap, he'll get in the show and he'll be in good shape. And I guess the last question I'm going to throw at you is I know you guys are finishing up your day out there at Indy. Uh, obviously, we go from complete and utter concentration to some level on Angel's bike, and now we have three motorcycles out there with you, Andrew, and Angel. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the division of labor, how things work out that way. I mean, are you guys set up, and obviously you wouldn't be doing this if you weren't, but how does that work out on a race day? So we're going to we're gonna add two more guys to our crew for, for, the, for the next, you know, for the next part of the year um you know all these races so each man will be on each bike you know so andrew will have somebody i'll have somebody and uh and and angel will have somebody and you know so and then we have one floater that works amongst all three bikes so it, it kind of works out I, I don't really see any stress happening in there um we're kind of used to it the first year that we brought her on or chip actually we started with uh it's a little stressful trying to look at three laptops and making tune-up calls um, I primarily tune my own motorcycle. Andrew tunes his own motorcycle and Angel gets, you know, Andrew spends most of his attention on her bike too, you know, but we both collaborate on that. And, you know, we, we want all three motorcycles to run as good as possible. Um, and we expect that out of our guys. We want the guys to deliver a motorcycle that's flawless to us because we feel if we can go out there and do our job, we can win the race. And, uh, that's just the mentality. So I, I, I really, I think it's a, a great deal. Um, I don't think any extra unnecessary pressure is going to happen on either of us. I, I think we'll be in good shape. Well, man, uh, I speak for all of us. It's great to have you guys back on top of motorcycles. Of course, the work you've done uh, in the development of the four-valve uh, Suzuki engine has been has been fantastic. We've already seen uh, some incredible performances there. Putting on gel in the 200-mile-an-hour club is certainly great, and uh, I feel like if Andrew gets the right air, he may be able to get his way in there as well. So uh, great to have you back again. It's not like you went that far, but still, when we look at, <laughs> when we look at other guys that have, that have not started the year with a seat, very few of them are in the shape you guys are in right now, so it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I, I feel we're going to have three great motorcycles out of our Vance and Hines truck, and we're going we're gonna to just go to the race and uh, enjoy it. You know, the cool thing is, it's, I, I shouldn't say cool thing, the great part of it is is we're getting to go to the last race in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, just, I just put out a message. I told everybody if they're going to miss it, they're going to miss something special because really, I mean, it is – it is an awesome race. It's a good facility. It may not be the Bruton Spitz, you know, type facility, but we need drag racing and we need more drag race facilities. And, yeah. you know, that's just very difficult to do. So the one thing that if I can say anything to anybody right now, it's really 
you guys need to support your local drag strips, all you bracket guys, everybody that does that, because as much as we are part of a show, the bracket guys and, and all the sportsman guys, you guys are a backbone of the whole entire race series. And if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have the opportunity to go to these racetracks or drag strips. So, you know, I, I do, I appreciate all sportsmen racers and everything that they do. What they do is a lot harder than what we do. I mean, they gotta, they gotta drive the starting line and the finish line. I mean, <laughs> it just takes an idiot to pop the clutch on time and get to the finish line, you know? <laughs> so well, the good I, news I, is, I, the good news is you've been less of an idiot than the other idiot in your lane waiting many more times in your career than they have been. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know you could appreciate it because you go to all these different races, and really it is. I mean, yeah. we just need more people racing, and it's so special to be able to go with your streetcar to a drag strip and run down it and make time shots at any NHRA facility that you want because you can't go do that on a NASCAR track or IndyCar track or anywhere else. It's all about drag racing, and anyone can do it. That's a fact, man, and that's a, a great message and certainly uh, resonates with everybody that should be listening to listening to this show and the fact that those test and tune nights, those bracket race days, those grudge race days, those heads-up days, whatever you want to call them at your local racetrack are really what keeps the lights on and keeps the employees working and keeps the ownership uh, happy. So amen to that. Eddie and Andrew, who chimed in a couple times, Congratulations on the successful test. I will see you this weekend with 20 other of your closest friends. A huge field of pro stock bikes, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Be good. Thank you. Thanks. And that will bring us to the close of this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. A fun show. You had David Grubnick talking about getting back in the saddle as far as tuning a top fuel dragster. He's done it masterfully over the first two races. And, of course, the always ebullient Eddie Krawick with Andrew Hines in the background talking about their testing and how they have fared and what they will be doing over the course of the rest of this 2021 season. There will be schedule changes inevitably. There will be bumps in the road. But we have certainly gotten out of the gate with two fantastic races in Gainesville and in Las Vegas. And then we move into this historic weekend coming up at Atlanta Dragway for the final running of the NHRA Lucas Oil Southern Nationals at Atlanta Dragway, the 40th time this event has been run, and the last time as Atlanta Dragway will be closing at the end of the 2021 season. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider, and please, please, please tune in. Watch our qualifying coverage and elimination coverage of the Southern Nationals on Sunday. You can go to NHRA.com to get the air times there. They'll give you the full TV schedule to give you the full event schedule, and you can always get an NHRA.TV weekend subscription to watch the race live as it happens. If you don't want to wait for our tape-delayed elimination show on Sunday evening, so be it. You can go to NHRA.TV, sign in, and you can watch as soon as you subscribe to see the event. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Loans, and I look forward to seeing you on FS1 this weekend.